Welcome to The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha Bhushan, and this is your oasis for strengthening your mental and emotional fitness, no matter what life tosses your way. I am so excited you're here. Just like you, I wear many hats. I'm a former dentist turned author and serial entrepreneur, currently a mom of two, and a recovering perfectionist. Every week, we'll navigate brave conversations to support your evolution at every season and stage of your life. Raw and unfiltered, we'll explore all the feels as we unpack life's unpredictable moments, from the playful to the painful, the magical and the messy, and everything in between this epic human experience. You ready? Let's dive in. Hey, 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 Brave Table fam. Welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha, and welcome to the Brave Table. This is your oasis, your destination to be a little bit more brave. And oh, wow, today we are getting into some of the juicy with the one and only Justin Resvani. Justin Resvani, wow, he is so brilliant. We talk all about unapologetic freedom and we get into the discussion that everyone in the room is having around crypto and how to build a safer digital world for our next generation. And I like to call him this like child prodigy because in our conversation, we talked about how he started entrepreneurship when he was like 12 years old and he sold his first company in his 20s. And then we talk about him getting a brain tumor and how that really shaped what he wanted to do in the world and how he wanted to show up in the world. And he is now the founder of Zion, a revolutionary social media platform whose goal is to be the safest place on line. Now, he's also the author of his newest book, Unapologetic Freedom, How Bitcoin Defeats Censorship, Ensures Sovereignty, and Reclaims Our Liberty Forever, which breaks down topics like centralization. And don't worry if you're not a geek like I am. I broke it down for the mamas in the room because I don't even understand a lot of the stuff. But what I really loved about our conversation was really talking about privacy rights because it brought up to me how my children are getting so much more access to the internet and you know predators and just not good people and moms you know what i'm talking about in the room and it just becomes like they're getting access to things way way quicker and sooner and that's where justin comes in you know this book really blew my mind this book unapologetic freedom where he talks about it in such a digestible way i mean has sung the praises of people like Tony Robbins, Aubrey Marcus, J.P. Sears. So you know, it's a goodie. So you'll want to settle in for this entire episode because Justin dives so deep into the ideas that we need to really discuss now more than ever in our digital world. And we talk about, you know, the highs and lows of social media and how it really works in the back end to get your kids and yourself addicted and how can we start thinking about creating a safer environment for our children. This is why I love him so much and how he advocates entrepreneurs to be relentless in their mission. And he's just one of these so brilliant humans that were able to sit with us today. So we're just gonna get into it today with the one and only Justin Resvani. Let's welcome him to the Brave table. 
Hello, Braid Table fam. All right, here we are at it again, and I am so excited to bring this week and today, Justin Resvani. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh my God. I'm excited. Me too. I'm excited. We get to talk about Zion. We get to talk about, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. You Thank have you. a book out. Yeah, it's Dude. in the world. It's here. It's here. How does it feel? Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. It's like 10 years of thoughts, 20 years of experience, and a couple months of writing, and it's in form of an actual manuscript. It's crazy. Dude, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm so, so excited to, you know, get a chance to kind of dive in with you at your book launch and kind of see where your heart is because obviously you've created many different companies and you've sold them. And so this is the break table. So we're going to just start from the beginning a little bit. So tell us a little bit about like your background for everyone. So Generally started my first company when I was 13 years old, so 20 years ago. I was painting curbs on the side of, um, painting numbers on the side of curbs so people can see um, houses and like if emergency services came through. So that was my first business. What? Wait, that was your first business? business. Yeah, okay, I did that I'm over summer. Unpack that for a second. <laughs> yeah. Where did you get the inspiration to make this like? I saw something that that I saw this letter that was put in my mailbox from another person that said, hey, you should paint your curbs for emergency services just in case, and I'll do it for 20 bucks. I was like, I'm going to copy this and then go do it. Oh, my God. And so I did that. That was just like a thing I did over a summer, and it made sense. I made I made a ton of money as a 13-year-old. 13-year-old? Yeah. You did it by yourself? Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Much. Wait, yeah. are you the oldest kid? Or I'm you... the oldest, yeah. So, my, I'm, so I have a younger brother, and okay. then my dad's been an entrepreneur. And then oh, started my first tech company. Yeah, yeah. Wait, is, what's your background again? I'm Persian uh-huh. and Assyrian. Oh, you're Assyrian too? I'm, I'm Assyrian. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, my mom's Assyrian. Okay, I grew up with tons of Assyrians. Shout out to Chicago, tons of Assyrians. Tons in Chicago. of Assyrians in Chicago, that's true. Tons. tons. Where'd you grow up? In LA. Okay. I don't know. Are, are there a lot of there's a, there's a There's a decent community. Okay. Yeah, it's probably the second largest or third largest community. Okay. Chicago, boy, we go deep. Yeah, definitely. Like, we're, there's a lot like, of them. I went to a lot of, like, weddings, Assyrian yeah. weddings. Some of my friends were, many of my friends were Assyrian. The whole, wow. Okay, so Assyrian and Persian. Yeah, yeah half, half. Got... My mom is Assyrian. My dad's Persian. Okay, so you got the, the, the like, hardcore work ethic. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a first generation come from an immigrant family. My parents weren't born here. I was the first one to be born here in my family. First one. Yeah. Okay, so that's why they're like, start the company when you're 10. Like, how was <laughs> that upbringing? No, it wasn't really starting. It was just like, I wanted to do it and I just yeah. did it. It was nothing that it was like super complicated because mm-hmm. I learned from my father that the way to create value in the world is to do something for someone else and then translate that. And if you could save people time, you could save people money, people will give you money for it. It's very simple. I think I learned because I was doing QuickBooks accounting for my dad like when I was a teenager putting stuff in understanding how his business worked and I only had one operational programming I'm generally unemployable like there's not somewhere I can go work at a corporation it just doesn't work out for me I have ideas and people with ideas should not work at their company so that's very true that's yeah. very true and it's so interesting that for you you knew this like early on of course but it was like one path 
there's one path. Yeah, that's it. And are your brothers the same way as you? Yeah, my brother's an entrepreneur, and um, oh he's my, my little brother. He's doing his own thing. He's, he's got an avocado farm in California. And he has an avocado farm in yeah, California? Yeah, it's great. Who are you guys? <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, I started my first tech company a year out of college. So the first company I sold, the Amplified, a year out of college. Okay. Built that, sold it in about three and a half years, and then two years later, I started this company. Okay, wait, so <laughs> let's unpack that. Okay, so what was the company? Yeah, so— and how how did you... Started the Amplify in 2013, started okay. building in 2012. It was the first app on the App Store that connected an influencer, so someone with a lot of followers, to a brand mm -hmm. through an app. So oh, you could, wow. like, an influencer could get a brand pitch, say, hey, you want to create this photo on Instagram? Mm -hmm. You get paid a couple thousand dollars. At the time, there was no ads on Instagram. So brands would come to us and say, hey, we want to scale media impressions on Instagram. For two years, we were the only way to do it. Wow. Because the ads didn't come to Instagram until late 2015. So it was kind of, we were really early. We were able to do something. It was just a great business. And so a couple million in revenue the first year, a couple million in profit the next year, and then sold it in three years. It was a wild ride. You sold your company in three years. Yeah, and did I was you 27. Go, you were 27 when you sold your company. Yeah. Okay. So what <laughs> is going through your mind? Like, were your parents kind of like, get a traditional job or were they kind of like... Oh, they knew this was the only way. They, they really knew. They kind of knew. They're like, yeah, go do that. Oh, wow. Go do that. I mean, that was a really good idea. So my dad, my parents were so supportive. I give 100% of my credit to my parents. Like, I was raised in such a loving environment. Mm -hmm. So much love from them. Mm -hmm. The love allowed me to expand my own self and doing what I want to do in the world. And wow. Kind of just be myself and just execute. Like, be relentless in executing. So, because so many of us and a lot of listeners are entrepreneurs or they have these entrepreneurial ideas. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they get conflicted with like self-doubt or, you know, judgment or maybe not the right team or, you yeah. know, just a lot of women talk about imposter syndrome. So like, mm -hmm. how are you able to channel all of that while you're raising money for this company? Were you raising funds for no, this No, no, no. I owned 100% of it when you, I sold it. Yeah, you owned 100%? I, I, we did 110000 in revenue in six weeks. And that was seventy five grand in profit. So I, I made more money that I, in six weeks than I would have made in two years of working at a, the job I was at before. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it was cash flow positive, profitable business, six weeks out the gate. Never went backwards. We were profit like amazing. Yeah. So, so you don't no need money. investors. No investors. You were this was just like one hundred percent you. Yep. And what advice do you give to to people who are kind of like battling with a lot of these internal thoughts? I have a conflicting response because I don't think everyone should be an entrepreneur. I, I don't mm -hmm. think that people are built for this. And I think mm -hmm. most people are in fact not. I think what they should cultivate is yes, do something of purpose, do something of what you want to do. And most of the time you can be a great support. You can be a great number two. But being an entrepreneur is, I don't recommend it. I don't think people should do it. It's, it's it can work. be more traumatizing than I'm in fact helpful because yeah. it's not logical to do what I'm doing. It's not logical. Like I had a job. I had a, like, it's not logical to work seven days a week, mm -hmm. almost every hour of every day, work on the weekends, put everything on the side, go through the pain. Like entrepreneurship is so painful. It's not <laughs> it all like, like how this came it's to not life. Glitz and glamour, it's, right. it's terrible. It <laughs> it's fucking not. sucks. Like, excuse me in my language. I mean, yeah. I just talk like that, but no, like, it's, fine. It, it's fine. It's not nice. It's not sexy. It's so hard. Why are we glamorizing entrepreneurship though? Because we put money on this pedestal that like, if you are a billionaire, then you are happy. Oh. I can guarantee you the number of billionaires that I know, they're extremely unhappy individuals. They work so hard to what they're doing. You know, who knows like how their relationship is with their family. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, mm -hmm. but I've sacrificed a lot to get to my place. So that's why I don't recommend everyone should do it. Like mm -hmm. you're not. And also you're competing against someone like me and I'm relentless. And most people are just not built 
built that way, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. It's cool that you're not built that way. Well, no one's putting pressure for you to do this. Well, and what I love about you, you're like, I'm owning it. Like, I'm relentless. It so, is. It is what it is. And I think it's like really knowing kind of even your shortcomings, but your strengths and yeah. really riding your strengths. Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned over time is I want to fail fast. Mm-hmm. Most people fail and it takes them too long to realize it. I have consistent failures in my career. I've, but what I do is I recognize them quickly and mediate and try to figure out another path. The path to entrepreneurship and sex is failing, figuring out another way, failing, figuring out another way, fail, fail. But most people get punched in the face and then they go down like, oh my God, like I can't. And they the, can't the point, take rejection. They, yeah, they, they can't take, like, do you know how many people told me to fuck off across my career said no, 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 no. Constant rejection. You have to deal with it and move forward. And if you don't want to, don't play this game. Oh, so good. <laughs> this is like the soundbite of the episode. <laughs> so good, because you said something that is so important for so many people to hear. And I feel like it's not talked about enough. My husband and I go into businesses and we, of course, we invest in certain companies in different capacities. And sometimes we'll have creators or, you know, founders who have various different, you know, value systems than we do. And one of the things that we really love is like, all right, fail fast. Let's test it out. Because if we don't test it out, how are we going to see the proof of concept? And so the alternative is, you know, trying to make something so perfect and it's never going to be perfect. Not the first time. So what is your advice to folks who are like trying to hold their geniuses because they're trying to wait for that perfect moment or they strive for excellence. They wouldn't call it perfectionism or they strive for excellence. I don't think excellence is achieved by not executing. Execution is more important than excellence. Mm. So at the end of the day, you have to actually do something in order to be excellent and bring something to the world. And I think what holds most people back is the fear to Mm. go into that space. And again, it's okay. Like there's no one telling you you have to be an entrepreneur. It's just like, it's like sexy right now, but I don't think it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, You're right. It's not for everyone. No. And if people saw, like, you go back to my first company and with the first version of the app that we put out on the app store, it was horrendous. And even the first version of Zion that we were working, just horrendous. Things didn't work in the app. But I put it out there just to see the market of like, is there a taste for something like this? There was no design. There was no implementation. But now I said, okay, there is an appetite. There is a market for it. Now let's go redesign it. Let's play it this. Like, so, like now let's go back and, yeah. and start over. So, okay. So I want to kind of like double click on that because that part is so cool to me that you didn't care about what the app looked like. No. You didn't care. Like it looked like a piece of shit. Probably yeah. like not, not pretty, not, not great glamorous. user experience, not perfect, not just to get a little bit of market validation. I think the best analogy for people to understand how I think entrepreneurship actually works is like you're going to climb this mountain and then you're going to find out you're stuck and you probably have to go back down to the bottom and then start up another route. Most people aren't willing to go back down, but you have to go back down in order to find the path if you actually want to get to the top. Mm-hmm. And most people don't want to do that work. Like, fuck, I walked all this way. It's like, yeah, you got to go back and then start over. Mm. And that's kind of the thing. That's the battle that I'm even constantly in. Is like, you got to sometimes take 10 steps to go 11. Mm-hmm. Even though you're only one step away, you can never make that final step unless you go all the way back. All the way back down to the exactly. bottom. Exactly. 
and then recarve a different Through path. thinking, and particularly around the problems I'm trying to solve, is these are complex engineering and computer science problems. Mm-hmm. And we'll go down this path of a technical pattern we want to implement and then find out actually that specific way of that pattern is not feasible for the scalability that we want. Let's kind of throttle all the way back and now go down this path. And that's the thing that I'm dealing with. And trust me, I want to move fast. I get frustrated at things when I can't do things fast enough. But it's the reality of the world that I live in. And I think most people will deal with that same technical complexity because maybe they don't have 20 years of experience in doing that. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're starting for the first time, no matter how much experience you have, you don't know what it's like to get punched in the face around business. Right. Like you don't, you just don't know until you do it. Mm. Yeah. And so I just have had it for a while. So do you have like processes or things that kind of ground you when you're like frustrated and you're like, all right, I want to get this done tomorrow and you're raising another round, which we'll get into your next company. And then you're going on different panels to speak about the things you speak about. And then you're also doing this book launch. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your moment or management of like chaos? How does that look like for you? Sleeping. Sleeping. That's it. I don't have a process. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have a way of like doing this and doing this and then doing this and, and, I don't know. Sometimes I've listened to a lot of the best executors in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a lot of them do either. Mm-hmm. I think they just do it. Mm-hmm. There's people that like give advice on process that have never built things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. I wish I had a process. Like, oh, I do this in the morning and that. I don't. Like, I just do. You're doing That's it. That's it. I just do and I do and I fail and I do and I fail more and I do. I love that it sounds like your process is not being afraid to just fail, fail yeah. many, fail, many fail times fast. over. Yeah. Fail fast. I mean, that's one of the mantras I live by for sure. So now take us through you got to this point where you're selling your company, mm-hmm. the first company. Yep. And what's the impetus for the sale? Is somebody money? Money. That's it. Okay. Like I'm broke my whole life. You know, I'm living in a small apartment. And someone offers you this much cash and you'll have it in your bank account one day, you didn't have it the next day, that's it. It's just financial arrangement completely. And so it was life-changing just, money. So it was just easy for, like, you didn't say, okay, I want to sell this company. It was an acquisition. I kind of knew I was going to sell it because it was like a, an acquirable business. It was like high revenue, high margin, mm-hmm. no one on the cap table, easy deal, blah, blah, blah. It kind of made sense. Like, let's go do this as fast as we can. And you didn't have any co-founders or nope. anything like that? No. Nope. Wow, that's impressive. I give equity to some people at the end. I gave my dad some points in the business because he was helping out. But no. Mm. And, well, I mean, congratulations. Thank you. On that. So then what's this drive? Did you take a break then? Yes. So I sold the business, stayed on CEO for another year, stayed on the board for a year after that. And then really took time off in like 2018, 2019. Then in the end of 2019, in my book, I kind of outlined this at the beginning. I had a bit of like a health thing. So if you read the first opening of my book, you'll see what happens. This was a pretty intense experience. I mean, can we dive into that? We can dive into Because I was definitely reading about that. And so tell us about brain tumor. Yeah, I had a, right? I had a, it was, a, it was a, a cavernoma. So considered a benign tumor, but it's a series of blood vessels that enact in the brain and then it kind of ruptured and created a bleed inside the brain, which created a seizure. And then the problem with these things is once they bleed, they can continue to bleed over again. So the idea is to remove them. So had the seizure November 20th, 2019, had the CAT scan, they found it. And then January 7th, 2020, before the world got crazy with COVID, I had brain surgery to take it out. You had brain surgery. So no it was way. brain tumor benign. Benign. But like, still, 
that's scary AF. Yeah, it's crazy. Because you just—I had just done an Ironman. I mean, I was like, wait, like what? I had just done an Ironman three months before. I had done all the health checks two days before. I climbed Haleakala on my bike, fastest road to ten thousand feet, like bottom from Paia all the way to the top. I was Haleakala like, I was, in Hawaii. In Hawaii, yeah. yeah I was eight percent body fat. I was the fittest person in my friend group. Like, and when this happened, they're like, "How oh, the fuck did this happen to you?" It's like, well, it just happens. Like, so I'm a bit extreme. I think I'm a bit. Extreme. I can see that. That's your personality. Yeah, I've seen that in studying uber high achieving people. There is that certain mentality where either they're you know mountain climbers or like they're hardcore mountaineers, but then it's like the dichotomy of two sure. ends, which is great, which is amazing. But take us through that point of like it was a seizure that came up. Or yeah, it was what a seizure. Happened? That was a symptom that happened, and then I went to the hospital and they did a CAT scan, found the bleed, and said, "Hey, we got to like take this out in a few weeks after the bleed subsides." And that was that. I mean, where were you? at the time sitting in a dentist chair what yeah it's pretty wild that's wild i was a former dentist back in the day if i had a patient seizing in my chair yeah i wouldn't know what to do yeah they actually let me drive my car home it's very weird (laughs) you very very yeah we don't actually get the playbook on how to handle a seizing patient i would probably not let you drive home but yeah it is what it is it happened so you drove home and then Drove you- to a meeting. People at the meeting are like, you're acting weird. You should go to the hospital. I go to the hospital. They put me in the CAT scan. They find the thing. And then the rest is history. Wow. I mean, I know yeah. you go, I go in, I go into detail. You like, go a lot in detail yeah. into the book. But how did that then change? Because that's a huge life-altering moment. Yeah, I think I was kind of stagnant for those two years after I sold my business. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get back in anything for a while. Let me chill. And... It kind of reinvigorated that I should do something world-changing. And so I decided to build a world-changing business. Because we're not... Why not? I mean, I'm assuming, and obviously reading from your book, too, you were saying that kind of life is precious. And that's Very kind precious. of... Yeah. If I'm going to go out, I want to go out swinging like big. <laughs> and because I know I have the capabilities. Like mm. I have all the resources, the capabilities, and the mind to build a world-changing business. So I'm going to try. Mm. And if I fail, I'm going to fail. But at least I failed trying to build the most decentralized messaging protocol ever created inside of the Bitcoin Lightning Network, the most powerful, hardest money ever built. Like, if I'm going to try something, why not try that? So the brain tumor was like your impetus for this next chapter. Yeah, it was a path to growth. And yeah, I think so. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe that's just a story I tell myself. Who knows? I mean, if it's a story you tell yourself, it's a powerful story. Yeah. I mean, these are all, I guess, effectively stories we tell ourselves to push our... We're made of a series of stories, and Mm. it's just a story of my path, and it pushes me forward, I guess. No, I love it. So now take us through your current company. What are you building? So Zion is designed to be the safest and most civil place online. Mm. And the reason that we want to tell that story, and I think this is for your audience in particular, is that... I believe social media is very dangerous. And I think it's dangerous for families, it's dangerous for kids, okay. it's dangerous. And the reason is because there's no consequences mm-hmm. in traditional social media. If you're a bad actor, if you're a horrible person, if you're a pedophile, if you're all these things. Like if you're a bully, If you're basically. a bully, you have no consequences on centralized social media because you can effectively create an account for free. You can join a community, you can harass someone, and there's no consequences. Mm -hmm. But in a world where every user requires an accreditation, and what I mean by an accreditation is not just like uploading identifiable for like a KYC agreement, but it's actually you're tying your messaging to money, to a wallet. Mm -hmm. And if a community admin deems your comments hateful, 
right. spam, derogatory, not good for the community, and they delete your comment, mm -hmm. you lose money out of your wallet. You lose oh, wow. Bitcoin out of your wallet. So now we've created a, a dynamic where if you are a bad actor or someone that's, you are actually disincentivized to be a bad person in this mm. world. And if you're pedophile, whatever it has to do, like those people will have the highest consequences in this system because everything you do is tied to a transaction. Everything you do is tied to a wallet. So for the moms out there, our purpose in Zion is to make it the safest place on social media for your kids. Mm. And when you say that, what could Zion look like then for the next generation? Yeah, it could look like a, a civil place where people can have coercive dialogue to connect without any centralized service or bad actors infiltrating that experience. Because generally, we think that Bitcoin solves this problem of digital cancer. Mm -hmm. Because if there is an environment where there's a bad actor, the system can congregate to it and take it out. And it does it through a monetary instrument. If you keep getting your comments deleted, for being a bad situation. Right. Imagine like this like is we're, like we're deleting comments we're, now, we're blocking people we're, we're now. Blocking we're blocking people kind of now. Strange but, and weird. But, but imagine if Bitcoin was like the white blood cells mm. of an actual system. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin mm. is that. Okay. And the system itself can self-regulate through that white blood cell system and disseminate diseases, disseminate cancer. Mm. Because these individuals can be taken out of the system and there's consequences are through money, through the most finite money ever created. If you get fined 10,000 sats for something that you did inside the system, you can't recoup those sats because there's a limit of sats ever available, 21 million Bitcoin ever in circulation. Yep. So the consequences actually increase over time as the value of Bitcoin increases over time. Wow. Okay. So for my audience, I just wanted to break it down. So basically, there's kind of like a, a check system yes. where it kind of incentivizes people to be kind of course. and good of course. on social media. Yeah, and this is the aspect of proof of work, right? Most blockchains are trying to go to proof of stake, but proof of work is like your proof of human. You're like saying who you are and you're accrediting a payment transaction. Spam bots don't work in Zion because it costs money to create a spam bot. In Twitter, it's free. There's no accreditation required. You could just go create millions of accounts, auto-comment on things, and you have no consequences for doing the sort. So I think once you tie things to an accreditation, it creates a much more safe and civil world. Mm. And I outline exactly how this works in like chapter five. Chapter five of, of the book. Yeah. And the book that we're talking about, you guys, for those of you who are just listening and not watching this on YouTube, it's Unapologetic Freedom, the forewords by J.P. Sears, who I love, and Tony Robbins endorses it. I mean, you've got a lot of- On the cover, yeah. You've got a <laughs> lot of really incredible people like backing you up on this. And what's so bold about- Unapologetic. I mean, it's something that I talk about so much because it's really stepping into your most powerful light. And so tell us a little bit about what's the idea behind Unapologetic Freedom and just the title in itself. I think the title defines who you should be in the world. You should be unapologetically free. You should be unapologetic about your own freedom and you should have a path to it. I think right now we're restricted in so many ways in our life because everything is so highly centralized. So it's the idea for you to start thinking about, can I be freer in my digital world? And there is a path mm -hmm. to it. It's also explaining how we got here. I think the most people don't understand the history of centralization. They don't understand mm -hmm. the history of censorship. Mm -hmm. How 
the three-letter agencies were established by FDR, how we got to the place that we are in our current state. It was more of like a history lesson into what's happening right now digitally and the opportunity for the decentralized century, which I think started a few years ago. So, okay, can you give us like a Cliff's Notes version? I know it's all in your book. Yeah. And I know you did such a beautiful job of kind of illustrating that for us and for our busy moms out there who kind of like the Cliff's Notes. So take us through. Yeah, sure. What was the history behind censorship? And how did we get to where we are today? I think that what's interesting about where censorship has been uncovered is that it has has gone away from the main side of like, we have over 200 years of Supreme Court rulings of what the First Amendment actually should be. Mm. There's actual laws against what you should say online, what you can't say online, what you can say to people and what you shouldn't say to people. We have rules in place. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, these centralized platforms have now gone to be an authority to decide what is truth and what is not and what should be said and what should not be said because they own everything. The centralized platforms, meaning like Facebook, Facebook Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, all of them. Because TikTok, they, yeah. Because they actually own everything. What people have this misunderstanding is that we've said this thing, my Instagram or my YouTube. It's mm-hmm. not your anything, actually. You sign terms of service. It's their everything. Mm-hmm. And they decide what they do. You surrender rights of content. At the base layer of most of the centralized web, you don't even own your own identity. Let me give an example. 1.5 billion people log into a Gmail account. Mm-hmm. At the base layer of your identity online, you don't own your own identity. And then imagine all the centralized services downstream, you log in at Gmail, at Gmail, at Gmail. Right. Your base layer gets turned off from Google, everything else disappears. So mm. I think we have an opportunity to actually look at, can we own our identity online? Yeah. Can we build an open system that allows for messages to move freely between two individuals peer-to-peer? And then can we actually move money peer-to-peer in that same way? We don't realize the level of centralization. The reason censorship occurs is because we've given all of our rights to these companies for a little bit of convenience. Mm-hmm. Convenience is not mm-hmm. tied to freedom. Convenience is not tied to freedom. Mm. Yeah, you can't just take a pill to fix everything. We've gone so lazy. Yeah, we, we really have. We've like, like society really lazy. is so lazy. It's so fat. Yeah. Like everyone's just like, okay, just give me a pill. Give me this. Give me a jet. Right. Like they think this is what's going to like, oh, I'm going to be healthy if I blank. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what you're really talking about is agency and having agency in our sovereignty. Of course. And so take us through what do you see Zion doing in that way? So what we want to provide is a, is a tool set, an application framework that allows you to do three things online that no other company allows for. Mm-hmm. Number one, it allows you to create a DID for the first time, which is a decentralized identity that you own through a private key pair. We have no access to it. Okay. The second thing is... And what if we like lose it? Then you lose like, everything. Then we lose everything. Yeah, there's going to be companies that help you store your private keys if you want, but that's a third party. We won't provide that service. Okay. But we're, well, because we, we don't store keys. We don't want to like, not your keys, not your coin. Okay. The second piece is... So let me just break down for, for everyone listening. So if you were with Zion, you would basically have these keys. These, a 12-word seed phrase. Okay, a 12-word seed phrase. That would encrypt the private key. Okay. And your key is kind of like your password. It's like your password. For like Instagram. So imagine if you lost your password to Instagram, you'd probably be able to like... But there's no forget password. But there's no forget password. Oh my gosh. Okay. So the complete ownership and agency is on you to take responsibility. And that's the personal responsibility you're talking about to then say, okay, this is all me. Yeah. And that's 100% on me. Yeah. It's not on anybody else. Yeah. 
That's fucking liberating. Yeah, That's we, awesome. hope, we hope so. Okay, so then the next step? The next step is we assign you a decentralized web node that allows you to actually communicate with someone peer-to-peer using those private keys. So every message is signed by your DID. We know that you have proof um, that is you all the time. Why is this interesting? The reason it's interesting is because we're trying to create an interoperability network that's like DNS. It's just like email. Me and you have two different email servers, but we can still talk to each other. I might be Gmail, you might be Yahoo, but they can still talk to each other over a protocol. It's called SMTP. Mm-hmm. We want to create that for the social web which will allow someone to have a DID mm-hmm. that you know is assigned to you. Yeah. So imagine Facebook, but you can leave. Imagine Instagram, but you can leave. Oh, imagine okay. something you actually own, and they'll always know that this is your handle. And it doesn't matter if Zion disappears. They can always point to that client every single time. Oh, wow. This is the future of the open web. This is the promise of Web3. And these are the solutions that we're building. We're just early on in the process. And the final piece is a wallet that you have custody over with those private keys that you can transact peer-to-peer across the Lightning Network, which is Bitcoin Layer 2. It allows for instant transfer. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like this layer of social and money yeah. That allows us to do, and, but there's a lot of apps that you think do this, right? Like Venmo, Cash App, all these things. But no, those are just centralized databases that allow money to move within their own system. Okay, so you're saying, so the difference between like a Venmo and a Cash App versus, because you're able to send money to friends on Venmo. So yeah, of course. why would I want to get off of that? Because that is not an open decentralized payment network, which okay. is Bitcoin and Lightning is an open decentralized payment network that allows for instant settlement. It's a much instant more settlement. In, instant settlement. It's a more superior system. Because imagine if you make a payment on a credit card to someone, mm-hmm. the number of companies required for that credit card payment eventually to settle is you have Visa, then you have the processor of the credit card, then you have the bank, then you have the website processor. You have all these layers of arbiters in between mm-hmm. where Lightning is a far superior payment rails to move money. Mm-hmm. And when we allow stable coins to be on there, when we allow fiat to potentially move across those same rails, mm-hmm. we're creating a much more superior payment system. And that's why we want to build Zion on Lightning. Okay, so what does it mean <laughs> for those who aren't as crypto savvy? What does it mean when you're building Zion on Lightning? How is the interface going to be with Zion and Lightning for Bitcoin? So How is that going to work? It's going to be, you're not going to know that this is happening in the background. I'm getting into the complex conversation because. Okay, the full tech. I, yeah, I'm getting into it because I want people to know how different we are. We're not building a Twitter, we're not building Facebook, we're building a new age type of an application, and every aspect of the technology is first to market. So it's just a more far superior system. But I think in the way that we're talking about it, we're not going to build this tomorrow. This is a multi-year experience, Mm -hmm. but the patterns are really important. There's not a lot of people going on podcasts talking about the things I'm talking about in this way. Not at all. No, not at all. Because this is how the future of the web will be written. And imagine we're in the 80s and we're like, mm-hmm. hey, there's going to be a thing called the internet and there's going to be websites. Mm-hmm. And then people are going to sell things on websites. That's the conversation I'm having with you about the future of social wow. in 1995. Or oh, my God. 90. Okay, yeah. guys, we're getting a glimpse of what the future is going to be <laughs> like 15, 20 years from now. So when our kids are like 10 to 15 years old, they're going to have a little bit more agency in like dealing and getting away from predators. Because, you know, the thing that I see a lot now, and I know that with a lot of mom friends and some of you guys probably listening to this too, is the conversations are, oh my God, TikTok for teens, teen mental health, like young girls are getting like so scooped up about just like the swipes and everything and then getting these crazy DMs 
and like falling for these predators who, God forbid, if we're not doing our part to give them enough love at home, like I would hate my daughter to succumb to one of these like predatorial attacks. And she's like 11 months old. Mm -hmm. And so, but these are the conversations that we have in mom groups. And I know that many of you have sent in DMs talking about like, Neither, are you going to do a show that talks about the realities of like social media? And it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to keep my kids off of, you know, the social works, which we know is probably not going to be a thing because it's like really woven into our fabric of society at this point. But I feel like what you're bringing to the table is this new wave and potentially like this solution of how we should all be looking at our rights online. Of course. And I think the base layer of why social is broken is fundamentally the business model because mm -hmm. we're taking people's attention, manipulating it, keep them addicted and selling them at the third-party advertisers. People don't realize that on Facebook, you are the product that Facebook mm -hmm. is selling to a third party and they're mining your attention mm -hmm. for revenue. Mm -hmm. That's why it's free. Mm. You have to flip the entire business model around. Like we're never going to have ads because the system is subsidized by the individual users. Mm. They pay to be on it, and then we take small transaction fees across the network to be more of a marketplace. The end state of Zion as a business is a marketplace model where we take small fees yep. of all the microtransactions moving across the network. That's how we want to monetize. We're not going to take your attention. We don't want you to be more addicted onto it. We want you to just converse, engage with what you want to see, and then leave and go live your life in the real world. We're not trying to have you stay and swipe and swipe mm -hmm. and swipe. That's good for business, bad for humanity. I love that. I love that. Again, the agency is the individual. 100%. And the agency is, well, you're going to pay to be on it yeah. versus getting thousands of ads just like in your feed. Yeah. There's this podcast I was listening to. I think somebody was getting interviewed and they were talking about how like, for instance, in China, if you're swiping for a really long time, they have things already built into their TikTok that it like, stop it like blinks out your screen if you're like under the age of 18 yeah for like you know whatever it is like 30 seconds or a minute like stop, like, stop relax scrolling. yeah the, the stimulation needs to end to your brain you can't handle it right and that's from a government level yeah so of course there is that centralization aspect there but what i thought was so interesting is well, that's amazing. Like, why can't they do that for, you know, our kids so that it's not in our brains or their young brains that they're constantly getting that dopamine hit every, like, swipe? So is Zion going to be, you know, are there any things to kind of incorporate that? And I know it, it may be kind of a counterintuitive because, you know, sure. I mean, does we, that... We, we can or, or we can't. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, like, mm -hmm. when we're at that end state we will potentially do those types of things because our business is not to keep you addicted to sell you ads. Yeah. So it's not an incentive for us to keep you there longer. I think most people, when they build products, they're trying to build a product that you can engage with as a human. Mm -hmm. My mission as the founder of this company is to build a product to make two people engage a little bit more intimately. Mm -hmm. There's a big mm -hmm. difference in how people even build and the message around it. This thing should be a bridge for individuals, not mm -hmm. a bridge to keep you on the platform longer. Because right. that's what other people are designing. They're like, engage with me, stay longer, blah, 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 blah. And which gets us completely addicted, and that's the reason why, that we need to have, like, blackout time 100%. to begin with. Wow. So, I mean, I know that 
your time is so valuable. And I want to get into, before we get into our igniting round of questions, what would you say is the hope of the book on apologetic freedom? It's a bit of a, I mean, I hate the word manifesto, but it's like, I think it's a path to like, my hope is for people to read it and Mm -hmm. give me feedback and say like, that makes sense, that doesn't make sense. That's actually a path to like what freedom could be. That's why we made it 10 bucks. Like anybody can get it online. Like it's really oh, it's, simple. It's, it's 10 bucks. It's, it's 10, super it's, easy. It's 10 bucks. I think five bucks for the audiobook. It's two and a half hour audiobook and it's me reading it. So it's like, it's an easy situation. I'm not asking you to commit. You could read this thing half, if you're doing a two hour flight, three hour flight across the country, halfway across the country, you could read the whole thing. Well, it's an I, easy lift. Ajit and I, we were just so like floored at a lot of the concepts that you talk about, because nobody is actually talking about it in the way that you are in terms of just paving the way for the future. And I know you don't have kids yet, but like, it's so refreshing to see, oh, okay, we do have someone, you know, like you, that's kind of like going on and championing a better way for all of us to connect. And kind of doing the intersection of some of the things that we're not even thinking about, like, you know, using crypto for good. And I feel like, yeah, I just want to say, man, that's, it's freaking, it's incredible. And thank you. And thank you for your support. Thank you allowing me this opportunity to talk to you and your audience today, because that's what I need to do more of is to get out there and just share like, this is out there, this is available. And this is what I'm trying to do in the world. This is how I want to kind of use my time, I guess, my life force energy. Because yeah. I have a limited amount of it too, mm-hmm. but I'm spending all of it on this. Yeah, how amazing is that? And I mean, for Tony Robbins to endorse the cover is pretty freaking <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Tony's great. Tony's an investor in my company. So. He's also an investor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. How can we learn more about Zion? So our website is zion.fyi. That's okay. it. Zion.fyi. Or, or okay. you can find me on social media at Justin Resvani. At Justin Resvani. For those on of everything. you on all of the things. I and think if you search Justin Zion on Google, I'm pretty sure you can find you'll me. You'll come this up. Point. Yeah, okay. So. Okay, Justin.Zion. Okay, <laughs> or just anything. Just, just, just those two words, perfect. maybe. Or Zion Bitcoin. Like it's perfect. Perfect. Okay, let's get into our igniting round. Okay. Here we go. Igniting. Ready? Okay. Uh, what does it mean to be brave? It means to be relentless in your beliefs and go beyond what makes you comfortable. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what are one or two words that describe this season of life that you're in? Hard truth. And any books or practices or rituals that are elevating your life right now? So one of the practices that I'm using when I'm going through a situation is, and particularly an engagement with another individual or a relationship is, is this being done to me on purpose? Mm -hmm. Is this action from another individual doing to cause me harm directly? Mm. Or is it just a situation? Is it a situation? I don't know. And so in most things, I'm asking myself that question because often I can lead to being hurt in myself I usually go down the path of like, like I feel hurt, but if I ask myself that question, then I kind of go back and like, no, maybe it's it's just not being done to me on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's just a situation that I I don't feel as bad. Mm. Or maybe it's like, I feel like so many of, that's so relatable, right? I feel like so many of us is kind of like, 
it's a lot of times the other person's stuff. Of it's course. their shit coming up yeah. and it's their projection onto mm. you. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, do we have to take that? Actually, no, I'm going to leave it like right there and let it like just be the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. So powerful. Oh my gosh. Okay. So all the things you guys, you heard it first here on the Brave Table. And thanks so much for tuning in. And wow, Justin, amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time on the Brave Table. I feel like I am way smarter now that I've sat with Justin. I mean, to be able to sell his companies for multiple, multiple eight figures. I mean, it's just incredible. And how he rose all the way from his health scare with his brain tumor and coming from first-generation immigrant household, half Persian and Assyrian, you know, he knows a lot about how and why it's so important to really dive into the things that really light you up and that you can change the world and using his gifts for the masses. So I hope this conversation lit up a few golden gems for you. Definitely want to hit him up on Instagram for any of your questions. He is Justin Rezvani, R-E-Z-V-A-N-I. I will also link it on the show notes as well as get a copy of his book. Get a copy of his book. It's called Unapologetic Freedom. It is out wherever books are sold. You can definitely grab it on the show notes. There's a link to his book, or you can just go onto Amazon right now. You definitely don't want to miss it. It's such a quick read too. Uh, Unapologetic Freedom. And if you're curious about Zion and how to jumpstart and be part of this revolutionary social platform that is coming up, definitely go on to zion.fyi, zion, that's Z-I-O-N, Dot FYI. And wow, I hope you are just blown away if there was ever a time to have conversations with people that you love about the new wave and creating a safer digital platform online. This is it. Go ahead and share this conversation with them. Maybe spark a dialogue, spark a new conversation and you know, utilize Justin's book in the mix. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And if you haven't already, and if you love this episode, we would so love to hear your reviews. Love, love, love that we are growing this community. And you can always submit your review at support at globalgrit.co. And I will send you my free gift of my emotional mastery course that is nowhere else. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, I will see you on The Brave Table. 